This is Maxim Vashilagwev and you're listening to the Full English Breakfast with Lauren Strand and Stephen Gordon. It's the FEB number 15. I'm Macaulay Peterson. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll spend 60 seconds with Boris Gelfand and Nigel Short joins us for the interview. Plus, we'll talk Tal, that's the Mikhail Tal Memorial. We've got a new prize raffle to announce, and we'll tell you about the rise and fall of Andrei Slusharshuk. Never heard of him? Grandmaster Mikhail Golubev will explain. But first, it's time for Pub Talk. All right, Trendy, you're up. What story are you talking about at the pub this week? Well, apart from your Gary Speed death, which was a horrible tragedy, and your public sector strikes, and your Tahrir Square in Egypt all going mad, the major topic that cropped up amongst me and my friends in the pub was, of course, German Fide master Mark Lang managing to set a new blindfold simultaneous record of 46 boards and he had a score of 34 and a half versus 11 and a half that's bloody incredible 46 boards blindfold where does he store all of the boards in his head i remember when i was traveling with steven and we used to go to tournaments we used to play the old blindfold game on the bus that was hard enough let alone 46 and they're good games half of them are good games he's playing decent chess I don't know how he did it. So, you've seen these games, Trenty. Is there any kind of pattern that could help him remember that many games? I mean, is he going around these boards, white, black, white, black, or, or what? No, I think he's got more whites than blacks. Right. But, every opening, there's D4, there's C4, there's Knight F3, there's G4. It's not like they're all E4, E5 games. And he's, he's just played, you know, they're 40, 50 move games. 46 boards. It's ridiculous, isn't it? How many do you reckon you could actually do? I reckon, at a push, I'd do three or four. Well, probably. Three. I could probably do three if I'm really concentrating. But I'd struggle with that. What about you? I think I'd be the same. 46... It's just out of this world, isn't it? I can't even imagine what was going on in his head. What do you think of that, Macaulay? Can you can you play a game of blindfold chess, Macaulay? Yeah, I've played some blindfold. I've never tried playing more than one game at a time. But it's funny that this was your topic because it ties well into our uh, story later in the show about the Ukrainian con artist. But first, Stephen, you're up. Well, um, my school, uh, we get a subscription to the chess magazine called Chess, which is... Uh, original name, isn't it? Original name, yeah, yeah. And in, in this month's, it had something about the late Tony Miles. Back in 85, he had a back injury during the tournament. He felt his spine go, and it was some recurring problem that he had. And it turned out that in order to be able to play this tournament without too much discomfort... Rather than sitting at the board, he'd got a bed. He'd basically got a bed and he was lay down playing his games of chess. What do you think of that? I might fake a back injury next time, you know. Get myself a nice little comfy mattress 
and just go to work. Well, I think, uh, to be honest, if you're going to do it, you know, you're going to do it properly. You're going to get the bed, you're going to get a Thai masseuse in there. Uh, every 10 minutes, <laughs> come for a quick shoulder rub. Oh, I'm in a bit of a difficult position. I'm going to have a long think here. How about a nice, you know, inner thigh massage? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, exactly. Oh. You know, if you're going to do it, <laughs> do it properly. Um, it's funny you say that. When I used to be really into chess... I used to collect BCM, and I've got an ancient one of this particular tournament. I think it was Tilburg. Yeah, you're right, Tilburg. It was yeah. Tilburg, right? In you know, and I remember seeing pictures of Tony, and I remember reading his quotes saying his their opponents were put off. Well, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be put off? I mean, well... I'd feel ridiculous if I turned up to like a Bundesliga game or a Frontier game, and someone basically was just on a bed on the opposite side of the board. I just wouldn't be able to play a proper game of chess. I don't know. I think, you know, I think there are things that put me off more. Go on. Such as? The odd, you know, fainting at the board, picking your nose, <laughs> uh, you know, people with a twitch. That sort of thing puts me off more. I mean, a guy laying down... But if you his... just get beat by someone who basically looks like they want to go to sleep... I, I'm not, I mean, if he rocked up in a pair of pyjamas <laughs> with a travel pillow, then I'll... Yeah, I'll... I'll wouldn't be best played. Trent, you, you've never had a chance to play against uh, Vasily Ivanchuk, right? No, I've never played Ivanchuk, unfortunately, no. Well, I don't know about the pajamas, but uh, the rest of the things in that list uh, he may have been guilty of at one time or another. Strange outfits, the nose-picking thing. In fact, in, in uh, Moscow last year at the Tom Memorial, he turned up one day wearing one of those surgical masks to uh, prevent uh, you know, infection that you sometimes see uh, passengers coming from Asia. Yeah, they had some video coverage, and I saw one or two of the other players having a bit of a giggle at that. Well, nothing like that happened uh, this time, but in Moscow, I did talk to one of the more correct players that never presents any problems of an unusual kind, and that is Boris Gelfand, who we spent 60 seconds with. I visited Boris in his room at the swanky Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Now, Gelfand, as you all should know by now, will challenge Viswanathan Anand for the title of world champion next May, also in Moscow, by the way. Gelfand grew up in Minsk in the USSR, now the capital of the Republic of Belarus, but he now lives in Israel along with his wife Maya, his daughter Avital, and his son Avner, who, as it turns out, turned eight months old on the day we spoke. That uh, gives a good motivation, and okay, so you know that your children would follow, they would be happy, your wife. And uh, my daughter already now tells that, okay, you have to play, you have to concentrate. She is uh, six, but she understands something. It gives very good motivation. Of course, it's hard because, okay, you not always can sleep uh, well in the night and things like this. But uh, from moral point of view, it's uh, excellent motivation and it's really giving a lot of inspiration. And uh, it was uh, amazing. Yeah, when I played in Kazan's candidates match, each day she was calling me and said, "So, Daddy, did you win?" I said, "No, I drew." And uh, then says, "But you have a few assistants. Why don't they try to help you?" I said, "Okay, they're trying their best, but uh, so far I didn't win. But okay, she always was saying, try tomorrow." You have this. World Championship match coming up. When young players are, um, well, just starting to get strong, I mean, you ask them, well, what are their goals? And they'll say, oh, I'd like to be world champion, or, oh, I'd like to be 2800 or something. But then there comes a time when it really becomes a serious prospect. Describe for me when that was for you, when you first said, I could really be world champion one day. No, I never, uh, how to say, it's a good question. And I tell a great story. When I was in a junior in a club, 
and uh, they came from uh, local newspaper and asked kids, "What do you, whom do you want to be?" And some guy want to be a candidate master, another national master, another grandmaster. And then they came to me. I was the strongest in the group, and I was, I think, ten. Just so, if uh, this guy wants to become grandmaster, it means that you want to become world champion. I said, no, I want to enjoy playing and to improve myself. And it was always my goal and still my goal. And now, of course, world championship I take always very seriously. It's a lack of world championship for of proper world champion for 15 years was a difficult period in my career because uh, since I lost my candidates match to Karpov in 95, I had no basically realistic chance to be because it was from 95 to 2002, it was no qualification. You remember, if it was no match, then Kasparov decided he plays with Skramnik, mm-hmm. then no qualification, and then, okay, it was Dortmund where I didn't do well, so my next chance to qualify was to Mexico, and I did it, and I did pretty well in Mexico. And then for the next uh, cycle, I also doing quite well. But now, of course, it's uh, I'm one match from the title, and I'm doing my best to prepare uh, the best way to be up to the challenge. So this next World Championship match, notable not only because uh, both participants are over 40, but because both players will have young sons at home, Vichy's son, Akil, being one month younger than Boris's son, Avner. Well, what do you think, guys? I mean, it was a little disappointing, to be honest, to see Vichy drawing every game in this recent Tal Memorial. It doesn't feel like it's the real matchup. At the moment, I don't want to put a dampener on it, but I'm saying what a lot of people are thinking. Well, we've got still five, six months uh, to talk about the World Championship, um, but let's talk about the Tom Memorial because, yeah, I think a lot of people certainly noticed Anand drawing all of his games. To what extent is it fair for the public to hold up the World Champion as the ideal and expect him to fight extra hard? You know, I'm sure if you ask him, he would say, well, I tried, I just didn't get any great chances and didn't want to take any great risks and happened to end up with all draws. So regardless of what it looks like, this can happen to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually commentated for chess base on one of the games. So I, I actually kept quite a close eye on the tournament in general. You know, I have to sympathise with the players on this one because there was genuine fighting chess. It just so happened that for whatever reason, there weren't so many decisive results. Whether that's due to the certain openings that have been played We've all seen this huge rise in popularity of this Queen's Gambit decline line with, you know, the Bishop E7, Bishop F4 or Bishop G5. Black seems to be just doing all right. If he wants to get a real solid position, they're all going down that. So that's a reason. But yes, I suppose Anand is looking at his rating as well because he does like to keep over that 2800 mark. You know, I think both of them are really, really great players. But I look at this Tal Memorial and look at the top four finishers. Carlsen, Aronian, Kayakin, Napomniachi. We've got some young guys at the top of the game who haven't really been close to a shot at the World Championship. I mean, Aronian's the closest, but he was at the candidates and he went out to Gristruck straight away. But it just seems a real shame that it's it's tough for them to, to get this shot at the title. With Vichy, I can totally sympathise with these draws. Yeah, he's going to have been fighting for sure. But as well, it's almost as if maybe he doesn't want to give any show of his ideas. Maybe he's just 
keeping to some lines that he's probably probably not going to use in in world championships and fair play to him I mean why should he give any of his serious bits of chess work away a few months before the big match well six months out I don't know I mean there is a reason why oftentimes they won't play in a in another tournament right before the match but six months out you think they're really still holding back novelties I, I don't know I don't know in the strongest tournament of the year I mean I think for Vichy he hasn't won a tournament he hasn't won a super tournament in how long now? I mean, it's been years. I think for him, it's probably more important to get a tournament win as a psychological boost going into the match than it would be, you know, to save one novelty down one particular line that's probably not going to come up against Gelfand anyway. Well, actually, having said that, I mean, his, his last round game, Queen's Gambit declined against Boris Gelfand. <laughs> There's a high probability that something like that is going to happen in the World Championship match. So maybe he's, maybe he's not holding back so much. But just one or two of his games with White, they seemed a little bit unambitious. I mean, he drew with Napomniachi after 20 moves or so. Yeah. You, you look at that game and you get the impression that this is not the World Champion fighting his hardest. Yeah. You know, that's the impression I get. But uh, look at Hikaru Nakamura, bottom of the score table, and I don't know that that's uh, ever happened either. So you look at this final table, and Nakamura's got no wins. He's been fighting probably the hardest out of anyone, but he's come away with no wins. It's a little disappointing. I'm sure he'll be a bit gutted with it. But, but you know, overall, I don't think he played so badly. His game against Carlson, okay, you know, that's not his greatest. <laughs> no, it, it looked like a real struggle, that one. And this game he had against Svidler, well, let's face it, that was just awesome from Svidler. I loved that game. I actually loved that game that Svidler played against him. That was just that was just unreal. This is definitely a highlight. And also another one, Aronian's game in the eighth round versus Svidler, where basically Aronian has, has just got nothing out of the opening at all. It's just, you know, Svidler's equalised. And he's played this sacrifice with such accuracy. He, I don't know if you've seen it, Stephen. You have to see it, Aronian's Fiddler, round eight. I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. You know, he had had to have calculated that so well because they're not obvious moves as well. But let, let's not forget. I mean, let, to, to round this up about the Tower Memorial, Magnus again pulling it out in the last round. You know pulling out the stops when he has to. Right, there was a tie at the top, but Magnus uh, getting the win by virtue of playing more blacks. So, yeah, I mean, well done to Magnus again. Uh, pretty solid tournament. He worked very hard during the games. He wins a lot of these tournaments. You know, that's something we've got to remember, guys. I mean, that's what, c coming back to Stephen's point about is this the real world championship? How many people would have loved to have seen Carlson and Ant? Actually, probably everyone. Probably everyone, every neutral, um, especially because he's been doing so well. Nanjing, London, Beale, Tal Memorials. He, he's won. Basna, don't forget. Yep, Basna. He's won everything. He's won everything. One more point. Guess who else I was impressed with? Nepomniachi. I thought he's brilliant. He's a real talent, that boy. I tell you, he's so solid. And they're exciting to watch. I mean, the plane fighting chess with the black pieces and. That's what I really like about them. They're always looking to create chances. It's a shame we're going to have to wait a few years to see one of them in one of these big matches. Well, a quick the FEB roundup item. I received some nice information from Judith Polgar, who was our guest on the interview last month. 
and helped to organize for the fifth time in Budapest a chess day, which featured all three of the Polgar sisters, Judith, Sofia, and Susan. So interesting event going on in Hungary. And if you want to see more, you can find a very slick video that we've posted to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash the FEB. We have a new prize drawing for anybody who supports the show this month with a PayPal donation. And everyone who has since our last prize drawing a couple months ago, I should add, will qualify to win a program from the Tom Memorial signed by Sergei Karyakin. And there was another fellow named Sergei Karyakin who came to visit the tournament to meet him, who's a professional athlete, biathlon and uh, a fencer. And uh, we've got some photos of that encounter also on the Facebook page. But you can win that. Any donation of any amount, visit our website, thefeb.com. Yeah, guys, we will try and make this bigger and better with every donation. It'll be really helpful. Now, for the interview, Lawrence and I gave a call to Grandmaster Nigel Short at his home in Greece. We had a seriously long conversation, and so here are some of the highlights. But I'll say in advance, you'll find the complete version in the bonus clips section of our Facebook page. Three-time British champion and three-time Commonwealth champion, a former world championship candidate, Grandmaster Nigel Short. Welcome to the FEB. Thank you, McCauley. This interview, I think, is what they call ad hoc, Nigel. It's sort of... Oh, oh, right. It's one of those. We uh, were originally trying to get you on the show last month, which was just after your big uh, blitz match with Kasparov. So uh, tell us how that came about a little bit. It originally started off with a Kasparov simul. And I was doing the the commentary. And the idea was to have various uh, CEOs playing him. And the idea morphed, actually. In the second year, they started involving children. It's called Your Next Move. That's basically the program which has been set up. They now have a very large children's program with qualification events. There are hundreds and hundreds of players. And the thing was, as I've been doing the commentary, and also I've been playing simuls against the kids, and I've been doing a sort of pre-selection, they decided for their fifth anniversary that they would do something different and have a a blitz match uh, with Gary. Actually, I, I would have preferred a slightly slower time control, but I think it worked out very well. I, I was nervous. I'll be quite honest with you. Initially, when it was proposed, I thought, well, here is a 2800 player who is retired playing against a um, near as damn it 2700 player who is active. I was, uh, let's say, moderately optimistic. But then when he stuffed Maxime Vachier Legraf, uh, I became very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Because I thought, you know, I mean, Blitz, Blitz, Blitz is not for old guys like myself. Uh, it's, Blitz is for children. Maxime is a kid, and, uh, and he's a very strong kid as well. And if Kasparov can still polish him off, then I thought, you know, what chance have I got? Although you play quite a lot of Blitz, uh, as I recall. I don't play particularly well. I, I kind of play okay. But in my early career, actually, when I was a serious chess player, I really didn't play much blitz at all. It's not something that has been part of my my culture. Now, I play ridiculous amounts of blitz. I mean, it it rots the brain, of course, but uh, at least I move my fingers 
But when we began to play, I understood he was very vulnerable. I squandered quite a number of chances uh, in the in the earlier games, and I was very, very disappointed to be two points down. And then I had the comeback, and, you know, my best game was this uh, King's Gambit game, where, okay, look, you know, it's blitz. I mean, you shouldn't look at this too carefully, but actually I think it was quite a good game on my part. Going into the last game, you know, playing with whites, having all the momentum, you know, I should have, I should have done better. I made a poor choice with the opening. He surprised me a little bit with the two knights defense. And although I have good results with knight g5, you know, I've had good results. I've even, you know, had one or two, one or two important games. But somehow in a blitz game, it wasn't the, the best choice because Kasparov is very, very good at attacking. And, you know, giving him the initiative was a mistake psychologically. Somehow he disturbed me with the speed of his moves. He had done some analysis. And in fact, he said to me afterwards, he said this main line, blah, 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 blah. It's a draw. He'd analyzed it out to a draw. I just got nervous and deviated and it was a bad choice. Was, was it the first time that you've genuinely thought, I'm in a position where I, I can beat Kasparov in a match situation, not a, uh, not a one-off? You ask a very good question there, Lawrence, because... It is the first time I have felt in my heart, here he is for the taking. Sort of intellectually, I have understood at other times, you know, yes, I can beat him. Here, I just felt it at the board. I knew this was not the man uh, that he was. Years of rust start to take their toll, and he was very nervous. Unfortunately, I fear I'm probably never going to get a chance again because I cannot see him playing very serious opposition. He's been beating me and beating me pretty badly my entire life, you know, and I'm not a spring chicken. We're almost the same age. There's only a couple of years between us. You know, I think we spend too much time looking at things under a microscope, you know, if you look at chess under a microscope and see very good quality chess, you have things like uh, the Tal Memorial, where everybody draws all their games. You know, some wacky openings and some horrible blunders are, are part of the excitement, in, in my opinion. Indeed. I mean, Gary, after this, this match, immediately after this match, he was sort of very critical of, of certain things. And I said, yeah, at the end of the day, chess was the winner. Let me wrap this up now. I, I just want to do something with you. I don't know if this has ever been done with yourself. I know you've done a number of interviews before, but I wanted to finish off with you with a small, what I'll term as quick fire round, if you okay. don't mind. So what I'm going to sure. do is I'm just going to say two words to you, and I want yep. you to pick a word. I don't want a justification or a reason why you picked it, and we, we're going to end on this, okay? So are you ready? I'm going to keep it to about... Literally 30 seconds to a minute. I've got about 10. Let's go. Beatles or the Stones? Beatles. Football or cricket? Cricket. Campomanes or Illuminov? Campomanes. The Smith Mora Gambit or the Czech Benoni? <laughs> Czech Benoni. <laughs> Kasparov or Topolov? <laughs> Kasparov. Papadomus or Merkel? 
Papademos. Papademos, pardon. I met Merkel, by the way. Did I tell you that? <laughs> I met her in Abuja earlier this year. And you're probably wondering what the hell. I, I came down for breakfast and uh, in Hilton <laughs> Hotel in Abuja. Yeah, just, just the whole thing. I met Merkel in Abuja at breakfast sounds like the beginning of a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. That can wait till another time. Anyway. Well, I only had a few more left, so I'm, 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 I'm going to be quick, actually. Okay. Uh, yep. Fritz or Ribka? Ribka. Blonde or brunette? Brunette. And to finish off, in or out? In. In. <laughs> that, I can tell you, fellow listeners, is a very true, reflective, little quick fire out. Thank you, Nigel, for, uh, for that. A very insightful uh, little chat there. Like Errol Flynn. <laughs> in Errol, like Flynn. <laughs> in like Flynn, indeed. Finally, a weird story that I've been following most of this year seems to have come to a head, and that is this guy in Ukraine named Andrei Slusarshuk. Well, he came to notoriety because he challenged Ribka to a blindfold game and won. <laughs> of course, every chess player on the planet immediately thought, well, that obviously can't have happened. But this created a media sensation in the Ukraine. I wanted to talk to someone who knows much more about this story than I do, and that's Mikhail Golubov, a grandmaster and also a contributing editor to the daily Chess Today PDF newspaper, which I can also highly recommend. So here's Mikhail setting the story straight on this Andrei Slusharshuk or as I like to call him, one sly shark. In the beginning, most of people and media believe it, and uh, basically no one uh, wanted to listen to chess players. Well, even Chuk, for example, was interviewed, but in his style, he, he said, okay, I'm not so much interested. Susa Chuk, if he wants to prove he can play rating tournaments and so on, but uh, for Ivan Chuk, it was just not uh, interesting situation. And uh, for some uh, months, uh, there were almost uh, no critical obligations in the mainstream media in Ukraine. But, but he became a media person, and uh, also, um, also he became known as Dr. Pai, uh, that he remembers 30 million uh, digits. 30 million? Uh, which is, uh, is completely a stupid claim, but sometimes people are ready to trust, um, how to say, a bigger lie. <laughs> you know, how to say. Uh, well, uh, but uh, I think it was his mistake to, to, to make this chess show because uh, I think uh, they underestimated chess players because, uh, well, a number of chess players uh, became angry and the amateurs, I would say, and they started to collect information about Susachuk. Now, the chess forum in Russian language about Susachuk uh, contains more than 300 uh, pages. And there are uh, special sections devoted to forgery of uh, documents uh, and so on. So he was a successful con artist. But then he tried to con the wrong group, the chess community, and then they were responsible for his fall. Yes, he underestimated us chess players because I think in the beginning of uh, summer 
two Ukrainian newspapers wrote uh, some strong uh, critical articles about Sutsakchuk. But after that, uh, they got problems uh, with the commission of uh, journalistic ethics in Ukraine. So Sutsakchuk had many supporters. And also, also uh, this year uh, in September, Sutsakchuk uh, uh, was awarded largely absent uh, science achievements by President Yanukovych. So already two Ukrainian uh, presidents uh, fell in this trap. I, I personally call it Slusargate uh, because for Ukraine it's it's really the big story. Everything changed in October uh, after a newspaper Express uh, made a really long investigation of his uh, biography and uh, maybe 20 journalists of this new newspaper work it. And uh, in November, all the top uh, Ukrainian channels uh, started to, to make their own investigation. In the middle of November, Slusachuk was arrested. But it happened uh, only after journalists gave all the material to, to police publicly. And, and everything was recorded on uh, television and sh- shown and after that, it would have been practically impossible for police to say that they know nothing. So police was uh, almost forced to, to begin the investigation. The worst, worst side is that he was known, well known as doctor, as performance operations on brain. Yeah, but but it turned out that he. Uh, never had any formal educations and all documents about his uh, educations were just uh, false. It was not uh, true. Uh, uh, During the period when he acted as a doctor, uh, several people died and it is already confirmed after his uh, uh, treatment, uh, operations and so on. and uh, this is the worst side. And uh, of course, the chess side is not extremely important. But, but also, we had s- several say, special investigations on uh, TV, and uh, it was shown how it was possible to, to do this uh, with Rybka, for example, to send him moves which he could uh, listen uh, in his ear and in some very small uh, hidden uh, device and, and so on. But, but you know, when really, really now the matter is his, uh, is his medical biography. So that was the story of Sluicergate. And uh, unless he finds some way to wriggle himself out of prison through some political corruption, he ironically will have plenty of time to memorize those digits of pi and work on his chess game. What a story. Well, he's done quite well, hasn't he, to trick everyone. I mean, he's been quite smart to be able to fool a large amount of the Ukraine population. It's one of those things where if you're not part of the community, if you don't know what really goes on, somebody who's a smooth talker can come in and give you a good line, and next thing you know, he's on television as this great chess genius. Pretty mental, isn't it? There you go. All right, that about does it. Any final parting thoughts, you guys? Yeah, I mean, one parting thought is we didn't even talk about the fucking Women's World Championship. Well, you know what we'll have to do? We'll have to just make this podcast a more regular affair and cover everything. We do. We're such a sexist program.